going to continue our series in the Gospel of John this morning. And as we begin, I want to tell you about two different churches. So one church I am not certain of, but I feel like my educated guesses are probably pretty close. And then the other church I know a lot about. So the first church is the church in Afghanistan. So you probably know all the different things that are going on in Afghanistan. As I, I read different reports, I see that there are still Christians in Afghanistan. There are still pastors in Afghanistan. So I think it's fair to guess that in some way, shape, or form, these Christians, they gathered together this morning on a Sunday morning. That they secretly left their homes and they gathered in secret. It's possible that they prayed together. That they read a Bible or they talked about verses they had memorized together. It's possible they sang together. That they may have taken communion together. And the whole time they were gathered together, they were thinking in the back of their mind what would happen if they were found. What would happen if someone walked by and realized that this was a gathering of Christians? That it could mean the end of their lives. It could mean they'd be executed in the street for following Christ, for being united with Christ. So that, that's one church that I think did gather today. I don't know for a fact that it gathered, but I think that it did. Now, the other church that I know a lot about is our church. Our church is certainly gathering this morning. Now, we could have sent you an email that said, we want everybody to meet down at the event center. And what we want to do is we're going to create a parade down 2nd Avenue. And as we go down 2nd Avenue, we're going to fly banners behind our car that says the times and the meeting places of our services. We're going to roll our windows down and blast worship music out of the cars. And then we're going to throw invitation cards to everybody as we drive down the street. And we can come down 2nd Avenue, turn on to 39th Street, turn into our parking lot, come in here, and we can stand and worship and sing and shout. We can read the Bible together. We can listen to a message together. We can pray together. On the first Sunday of the month, we can have communion together. And we don't have to be afraid of, is someone going to come knock down our door? We don't have to leave our blinds down. We leave them down because it puts a whole bunch of light. But we can leave them open, and people could drive by and see that we're gathering, and nothing would happen to us. That our church is about 180 degrees away from what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Now I tell you all of that because this morning we're going to read a passage where Jesus is preparing his disciples to face persecution. And what the disciples are experiencing and what they're going to experience is much closer to what Afghanistan is like right now than Kearney, Nebraska. And so when we get down to the application point, I'm going to apply this in our Kearney, Nebraska setting. So if you were watching online and you were not in the central Nebraska region, you're going to have to, my hope and prayer this week is that the Holy Spirit is going to apply this to your situation, that you would have wisdom to know what to do with this where you are. But most of us live in central Nebraska or in Kearney, and so we're going to talk about what does this mean in Kearney, Nebraska, because it doesn't mean what it meant for the disciples. So let's dig in. Um, to our verses. And before I tell you where I want you to turn this morning, though you probably already know, before I tell you, I want to read a handful of verses for you. And I want to read these verses because it contains the, world, the word or the phrase, the world. And I want you to see how is it that John uses this phrase, the world, because it's going to appear a few times in the verses we're going to read today. So I'm just going to read the verses. I'm not going to give you the verse numbers or anything like that. If you're interested, they're in your handout and they're up on the screens. But let's read these together. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's what I hope you heard as you saw those verses. One is that Jesus loves the world. Jesus came to save the world. Jesus loves the world. He's not against the world in that he just wants to see it destroyed. He wants to see people saved. He wants to see people rescued. That Jesus came into the world as the light of the world, but people rejected him. They loved darkness more than light, and so they hid in the darkness instead of coming towards the light. So with that as our background, I want to read now John 15, verses 18 through 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to John. John's in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's towards the back of your Bible. So if you get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, go to the right, and you'll find John. If you get to Acts, Romans, Corinthians, you're too far to the right, go to the left, and you'll find John. John chapter 15, verse 18 is where we're going to be. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is what he says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will, treat you this, or they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father." But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for persecution. That he's saying, this is what's going to happen to me. And I want you to know because it's happened to me, it's going to happen to you as well. So I've been using this word persecution. I want to define it for us this morning. Because we can throw it around, but we may not mean the same thing. So I want to define it for us this morning. This comes from a Bible dictionary. And it says, persecution is harassment and suffering which people and institutions inflict upon others for being different in their faith, worldview, culture, or race. Persecution seeks to intimidate, silence, punish, or even kill people. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, you've seen how the religious leaders have been trying to silence me. They do not like that I have been saying that I am the savior of the world. They do not like that I've been claiming to be the Messiah. So they've been trying to silence me. Now that they can't stop me, they've been trying to intimidate me. They've been trying to make me stop out of fear, but I haven't responded to that, so now they're going to kill me. That he has said they're going to kill me. And we know that within hours of what he's saying to them, it's going to happen. So this leads to our first observation this morning. 
Jesus was hated by the world. Jesus was hated by the world. That Jesus is saying, I have been hated by the world. Now we see this in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Then we see it again in verse 20 where he says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They, they persecuted me. They hated me. Then verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father as well. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. And then verse 25, it says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. He's saying that I am the fulfillment of this promise that was made in the Old Testament. So he's most likely quoting Psalm 69, verse 4. And he's saying, this was written about me. Now, why does he say they hated me without reason? The reason that he says that is because he hasn't broken any law. He's saying there is no Old Testament command that I have broken, that I have been faithful completely to what the Old Testament requires, to what God who spoke through Moses said that you should live if you want to be a righteous person. He says, I've fully and completely met that. So when I healed people on the Sabbath, I was doing good. I wasn't breaking the Sabbath. I was doing good. Even the religious leaders do good on the Sabbath. They just don't like what I was doing. And so they hated me with that reason because he didn't break any law. There's no reason for them to hate him. So Jesus was hated by the world. Now, we may think, well, wait a minute, because look, there's a whole room of people here who don't hate Jesus, that we love Jesus, we care about him. But as you look at what happens throughout Jesus' ministry, he teaches. He comes and he makes a claim. He says, I am the Messiah, I am the Savior of the world. And two things happen. One is that people respond and they walk forward into the light. They say, I want you, you're going to be the Messiah, you're the Savior, that who is going to do more than this guy is doing? He must be the Savior. But then the other response is rejection. They go, I don't want this guy. I don't want this guy to be the Savior. I want a political Savior. I want a ruling um, military Savior. I don't want some humble Savior who is going to be, allow himself to be oppressed. So they rejected him. So there was this group in the world that hated him. Now you may say, hate seems like a strong word, Jordan. But think about what's about to happen to him. He's about to have a close friend who's going to betray him to the Jewish religious leaders. Then they're going to find people who are willing to lie and say he said things that he did not say. Then they're going to hand him over to the Romans. The Romans are going to mock him. They're going to spit on him. They're going to beat him. They're going to torture him. They're going to whip him to the point that there's probably not much left of the skin and muscle on his back. That bones will probably be exposed. Then they're going to force a crown of thorns on his head to taunt him. Then they're going to make him carry a heavy wooden cross as far as he can possibly carry it until he cannot carry it anymore. Then they're going to find someone else to carry it until they get to the place of execution. Then they're going to stretch out his arms and they're going to drive nails through his wrists and his feet. Then they're going to lift him up and why he either suffocates to death or bleeds to death, they're going to taunt him. While, the man, while he dies, they're going to say, you think you're a messiah? Like you can't even save yourself. Look at this guy. He could save other people, but he can't save himself. Even the people that are dying next to him, who are being cru crucified next to him, are going to taunt him and say, 
if you're really the Messiah, save yourself and save us with you. That you think about how much hatred you have to have in your bones to taunt someone who's dying. To watch someone who is dying, that life is leaving their body, and as they're dying, you're taunting them. That you're trying to twist the knife just a little bit more, make this a little bit more excruciating. Like, that's hatred. And that's what Jesus experienced in his final hours. And so Jesus was hated by the world. But he wants his disciples to know that it's not just he that's going to be hated, but they are also going to be hated too. And this leads us to our second observation. The disciples were also hated by the world. The disciples were also hated by the world. So we see this in verse 18. Jesus says to them, he says, if the world hates you, and he doesn't mean if, like, if it happens, but he means more like if, when it happens, when this occurs, know that they hated me first, that they are hating you because of me. Verse 19, he says, if you belong to the world, they would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Then remember what I told you, a servant, verse 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So he's preparing them saying, okay, the world hates you. Just know that there's going to be segments of the world that is going to hate you. And they're going to persecute you. That if they persecuted me and I am your master, I'm greater than you, you better believe they're going to persecute you also. So why is it that the world hates the disciples? We see in verse 19 where it says that Jesus has chosen, chosen them out of the world. They, do no longer, they no longer belong to the world. This is why the world hates them. One of the reasons they don't belong to the world anymore. Second reason comes in verse 21 where it says they will treat you this way because of my name. That the followers of Jesus are treated this way because they bear the name of Christ. Because they bear the name of Jesus. That when people see them, they go, this person represents Jesus. Verse 22, it says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. So when Christians go out and they share the message of the gospel, they share the teachings of Jesus, they are teaching what Jesus has already taught. And they hated Jesus. They did not respond to this, which is why they're guilty, that Jesus came and said, I'm the Messiah, trust and believe in me. And they said, no, we don't want that. And so they came under their guilt. And then verse 24 says, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. So when Christians go out and they share the message, a lot of times we also share the works of Jesus. We say, here's what Jesus did. Well, when the people saw the works and they rejected him, how much more are they going to reject the report of those works? And so we go and we tell people about Jesus in Jesus' name. We go and tell about the works Jesus performed by his here on earth, and people reject it. And when they reject it, they want to hate the deliverer of the message. So how are the disciples going to be persecuted? So I have four examples. The first is James, who's the brother of John, the writer of this gospel. And James is going to be captured by King Herod, and he's going to be put to death by King Herod. And when the Jewish crowd that sees this occur, they celebrate and rejoice, and they, they celebrate. And King Herod sees what's going on, they go, they like this. And so he rests Peter to do the same thing to Peter. But God has plans for Peter, and so he rescues Peter. And eventually, 
Peter begins to teach and he goes on and does a lot of great ministry for the kingdom. But eventually he too is executed on a cross. That he dies and it dies for his faith. He dies because he refuses to renounce Jesus. Dies because he refuses to stop talking about Jesus. Refuses to stop shining the light of Christ into a dark world. And then there's a guy named Stephen. Stephen is an early church leader and he goes to this crowd of Jewish people and begins to tell them that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That all of the Old Testament points towards Jesus. And the crowd does not like this and so they rush him and they begin to throw rocks at him until he's dead. And then you have Paul, who was one of the early church leaders who writes a big chunk of the New Testament. Paul also was eventually executed by the Romans. And so you have a number of disciples, if not the majority or all of the disciples who are going to die for their faith because they refuse to renounce Jesus. They refuse to say, I don't know him. They refuse to not carry his name. They refuse to stop talking about the works that he did. And so the world was going to hate them. So now I want to talk about what does this mean for us? Because what the disciples experienced is much closer to Afghanistan and what our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing there right now. Where if you're found to have the Bible app on your phone, they will shoot you in the street. That that is much closer to what the disciples experienced to Kearney, Nebraska. That in Kearney, Nebraska, we are not wondering, are people going to come in and attack us for our faith? We're not wondering, is someone going to show up at my house and physically, bodily harm me because I'm a Christian. These are not things that we're concerned about in Kearney, Nebraska. So what does this look like for us? Our third takeaway this morning. As followers of Jesus, we live in the world, and we should expect resistance and acceptance. As followers of Jesus who live in this world, we should accept resistance, but also acceptance. So from this point forward, I'm going to work hard to use the word resistance and not persecution. Because in Kearney, Nebraska, what we experience is resistance. I don't think we experience persecution. Now, there may be outliers in this room. There may be people that have moved from other parts of the country that you did experience persecution. But in Kearney, Nebraska, I, I think there's probably not a single one of us that in the course of our lifetimes will ever have to make the decision of continuing to remain faithful to Jesus and losing our life in Kearney, Nebraska. Now, if you leave and go to some other part of the country, that could be a real possibility. But in Kearney, Nebraska, I don't think that's a question you're going to have to answer. Now, what we will have to face at times is having people avoid us. That you decide you're going to share the gospel with a coworker, they may not walk by your cubicle for a couple weeks. You, you try to share the gospel with somebody else at work, they may not invite you to their barbecue. That, that what happens in Nebraska, as I've thought and talked with other people this past week, what happens is things that are so slight, it's really hard to tell. Are you doing that to me because I'm a Christian or because you just don't like, like me that much? Like you don't like my personality or something about me? That I have not had someone who says, because you're a Christian, Jordan, I'm going to do this to you. So I have to guess, are you doing this because I'm a Christian or are you doing this because, you know, I, you know, I was awkward and you just didn't like that? Like, what is the reason why you didn't invite me to your barbecue? And if you didn't invite me to your barbecue, it's not personal, okay? I'm not, like, trying to get back at you right now. Um, for the record. But we need to know, 
We know that here in Kearney, Nebraska, we don't need to walk around with this fear that if I share the gospel, you're going to physically harm me. Like, we're going to experience resistance. So I get this. I get this from verse 20. So Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so he's saying, if they're negative towards me, they're going to be negative towards you also. But then he says, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. He says, if they were positive towards me, they're going to be a positive towards you also. And so we're going to experience resistance, but we're also going to experience acceptance. That so there are going to be people, if we share the gospel, there are going to be people that say, yes, I want that in my life. Tell me more about this light. Tell me more about this Jesus. Tell me more about what he did. Tell me more about what he taught. I want more of this. Because when Jesus taught it, some people rejected, but some people walked forward. Some people did not love the dark more than the light. They said, finally, there's light in the world. Finally, the world makes sense. I want more of this. And so what I want to do with the remainder of my time is I want to tell us, I want to share with us four ways we could live in this world. And I think three of them have real negative aspects to them, but there is a fourth that if we live this way, we will experience resistance, but we will give an opportunity for people to accept the gospel and walk towards Jesus in faith. So you've been probably wondering why I have this tote. It's not to carry a super large Bible. But I have a light. So John calls Jesus the light of the world. That he says the world was dark. And then Jesus entered into it as the light of the world. Now as Christians, as people who put our trust and faith in Jesus, that we surrendered our lives to him, the light has come into our lives. The light has come into our lives. Now the question is, how are we going to shine this light? that we can choose to shine in every area of our life. And when we do that, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be people who go, I don't, you know, I don't want to hear that. No, thank you. And, but there's going to be some people who accept it. Now, we can make the choice. We can make the choice that, you know, I don't want resistance. I, I just want to blend in with the darkness. I just want to blend in because when I blend in, people don't think that I'm weird or awkward. They invite me to their barbecues. I, I want to blend in so that they... Invite me to things so they don't think that I'm weird or odd. But when we do that, we don't give anybody an opportunity to see the light. Now, what tends to happen most often, as I thought about this, is that it's easy for us to shine the light in the places that are in alignment with where the world wants the light to be shined. So when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, the world loves that. They want us to love our neighbors. They want to see us do those things. And so it's easy for us to shine the light in that area and for the world to go, yeah, I like that. But then there's other areas of our life where it's harder to shine the light. So Jesus in the Bible, he shares a, a biblical sexual ethic that says sexual intimacy is a gift that God has created to, between a, to be between a man and a woman inside the confines of marriage. Now, that is a message that the world is not, ex is not as excited about. And so it's really easy for us to shine the light when it's loving our neighbor well, but then when it's a different area that the world is opposed to, to cover it up. 
And I say, I'm going to blend in with the world in this area because I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be odd. I want it to be easy. But then when we do that, we don't shine the light. People can't see Jesus for who he truly is. And so there might be people that if we had done this, if we had chosen to remain faithful to what Jesus teaches, we may may have received some ridicule, may have received some resistance, but perhaps someone would have seen this and said, I want to know more about Jesus. Or I saw the response that person had, but yet you haven't changed. I want to know more about where do you get this conviction to live that kind of life? So the first choice we can make is to hide it. But if we hide the light, we won't really shine it for anybody to see and we'll just blend in and we won't be that much different than the darkness. Now the second option is we can filter the light. So we can sort of shine the light, but we don't shine all of the light. We filter it. And how we do this is that we shine it, just parts of it, that we give people truth but no grace. We give people truth but no mercy. Truth but no love. And so it's easy for us to point out all of the ways the world is wrong or all the things that are wrong in the world. We fight against it. We point all of them out without any grace or mercy. And so we say, you're the reason that the world is the way it is. You're the reason that it's wrong. You're the reason that things are going so poorly, so badly, but no grace, no mercy. That we, we rightfully point out that we did not do it with grace, we are correct, and that they're missing God's good standard, whether we do this online or in person or behind someone's back. That yes, whatever it is, that yes, it may not be in alignment with what God is asking, but there is no grace, no mercy, no invitation to would you turn from that sort of life and turn towards Christ. The way I, who once was a sinner, once fallen, once apart from Jesus, also was missing the mark in so many ways. I, who now, even though I have Christ in my life, still have moments where I miss the mark. There's none of that. There's just, you are the problem in the world. And your people are the problem in the world. And so they see a a filtered version of the light. Not the real light, not the true light. They see a filtered version. So when they reject this light, they aren't rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the filtered version of him through just truth alone, without any grace. Without any... So we have to choose... To shine the light so that when someone rejects Jesus, they reject him for who he truly is. Not the angry version of him we're giving the world. Or the judgmental version we're giving the world. That there is no judgment without kindness or mercy or grace. Because be sure Jesus does say, there is a consequence for not following me. There is a consequence for not walking with me. There is a consequence for living life however you want it. But there is an invitation that says, if you would... If you would turn to me, I would rescue you. That I love and care about you. The third thing we can do is we can wall the light off and just direct it back towards ourselves. That we can say the darkness is scary and the darkness has resistance in it and has negative things for me in it. So instead of trying to share it with people that might need it, I'm just going to keep it for myself. I'm going to keep it for my family, for the people that I know who have received it, for the people that are like me. I'm going to keep it for us. I'm just going to point it back towards me, and I'm going to wall it off from anybody who could see it. Because by doing this, I won't get resistance. I won't get pushback. But also, there won't be people who will be drawn towards the light. Because I keep it for myself. 
I keep it from my friends, from my family. I, I wall it off from everybody else. And so then what happens is there's never this opportunity to see the light and walk into it. There are just people that are in darkness are left in darkness. And so what I would invite us to is to shine the light. It's to say that I am going to shine the light with my words and my actions, and I'm going to give truth and grace, truth and mercy, that I'm going to be full of truth and full of mercy, that I'm not going to hide it when it's difficult, when I know there are parts of my life that if I follow Jesus, it's going to make me at odds with the darkness, make me at odds with the world. It's going to cause, me to resist, cause them to resist me. I'm not going to hide it in those moments, but instead I'm going to, with grace and mercy, present it. That I'm not just going to filter it and use it as a weapon to attack people, but instead I'm going to reach out with grace and mercy and truth to the world around me. And then I'm not going to choose just to wall it off and keep it for myself, but instead I'm going to share it with all that I can so that those who would accept it would walk towards the light and leave darkness. So think for, with me for a moment. What if Jesus had chosen to hide the light? What if he had come into the world and he had said, you know, there's some things the world's excited about with the message that I'm bringing and there's some things that it's not excited about. What if he had chosen to hide the different places where it was not in alignment with what the world wanted? Where would we be? What if he had chosen to come and filter it and just bring truth? And he would point it to every single one of us and said, here's what's wrong with you and here's what's wrong with you, but no grace, no mercy, no God loves you and wants you to be in a relationship with him. Just this is what's wrong with you. Where would we be? Where would we be if he had just walled it off and said, you know, this is for me and my family. This is for me and my father and the Holy Spirit, not for anybody else. That I'm not going to shine into these other people. I'm just going to keep it for us. Where would we be? But praise God, he did not do that. Praise God that he came and though he knew that his resistance was not just going to be resistance, it was going to be persecution to the point of torture and death on a cross. He said, I'm going to come and shine this light because I am the light of the world. That though it take, took him a great cost to shine the light, he was willing to shine it. John eight twelve says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you are a Christ follower who put your trust and faith and surrendered your life to Jesus, you are, are united to the light of the world. You have the opportunity to shine this light in the middle of darkness so that people can see it. And some people resist, but some people walk forward in trust and faith. So let me give you one simple way, simple way to shine the light this week and in your life going forward. This is all you have to do. This is one simple way. Is you ask people, can I pray for you? So we all have people around us that complain or people that share their difficulties with us. You have it in your workplace. You have it in your neighborhood. You have it on your kids' sports teams probably. They say, you know, I have this thing going on, that thing going on. Would you be so bold to shine the light in that moment and just say, hey, can I pray for you? And that is a non-confrontational way to say God cares about you. My God cares about you. Can I pray for you? And I know some people are nervous about prayer. You don't feel like you're great at it. But let me help you. 
Because it doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer. It can be a very simple prayer. So let's pretend that you have a friend named Frank. And Frank's not a believer. And Frank's kids are really struggling in school. And he sits down and he's telling you about how his kids are having these struggles at school. And he's like, I just don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to do. And so you say, Frank, can I pray for you? And normally you don't have these conversations with Frank because you know Frank's not about the light. But you decide, I want to shine the light in Frank's life. Even that means he might not invite me to his next barbecue. And so you say, Frank, can I pray for you? And Frank says, yeah, they'd be fine. So you say, Father God, thank you that you love Frank and you love his family. God, would you please help his kids with what they're going through at school? You love them. Would you help them right now? I pray this in your name. Amen. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It can be simple. But what it says is my God cares about you. Because perhaps Frank has a belief that if God exists, he would not like me. And in that moment, you said, no, there is a God who does exist. He's the light of the world, and he loves you, Frank. And if you would walk towards him, he would receive you and love you with open arms. And my hope and my prayer is that he will help your kids in the moment they need right now. And this might be one of the works that God shows you that he exists. And so if we start just saying, can I pray for you? which is probably not something that we do for everybody, but we do it for the people that we know or want that. But if instead of shielding it just for ourselves, we begin to give that to everybody. There's going to be some people who resist and go, I don't know, but there's going to be other people who say, yes, I want that in my life. So we can take this light of the world that lives inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit and we can shine it into the darkness. Would you pray with me? Father God, God, I am so grateful and thankful, God, that you did not hide the light, you did not filter the light, you did not direct it back towards yourself, but instead you came and you shined it for all of us. And though it cost you a great deal, God, we know that here in Kearney, Nebraska, it probably will not cost us as much as it cost you or the disciples, that we would probably experience resistance, but God, I pray that you would help us through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, God, that we would... We would be willing to bear that little burden to shine this light so that those who live in darkness might come to know you and love you more and more. God, I, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and all over the world, God, in places where it is dangerous to be a Christian, places where it is not safe to be a Christian, and yet they continue to carry on because they know that you are the light of the world. God, would you please protect them and watch over them? Would you guide and direct them? God, would you put them on our hearts that, God, we would think about them and pray for them as we go through our days. God, thank you very much. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen.